This podcast is sponsored by The Coldest Water, a company at war with hot. They believe that the coldest things are the best things in life. Built for athletes and high performers, they are famous for creating the coldest water bottles to the coldest pillow to the coldest ice packs. They have even developed the coldest dog bed and dog bowl to keep your furry friends cooler during the hotter months. Get 10% off your first order by using code NOX10 at coldest.com. Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with a new episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. On tonight's episode, I have a great fairy tale for you called The Palace of the Night. It's written by the same author as The City of Winter Sleep, which was hugely popular here on Knox Bedtime Stories. I also have a good news story about a black cat with huge eyes and wonky feet named Mayor of Hell for a day. No, not that hell. Hell, Michigan, of course. You need to see the picture of this cat. It'll be up on both my Patreon page and my Instagram accounts, which are both listed in the show notes. You have to see them. I also posted a story that made me cry like a little girl on Patreon. It's available to the public, so if you want to see what makes Joey cry like a little girl, it's there. As for the cat, his name is Jinx the Cat, and he has humongous eyes, and his feet kind of look like flippers you would swim in the ocean with. If you're new here to Knox Bedtime Stories, welcome. I hope I'm able to bring you calm and comfort for a long time to come. If you would like to make sure Knox is here for a long time, please support our sponsors and become a Patreon member. Every dollar helps ensure I can produce the show regularly and makes a huge difference. There are many benefits, but most people just join because they get a lot out of the show and want to contribute to keep it free for everyone. So if you enjoy the show and listen a few times a month or more, Please join our Patreon community at KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Become a Patron button or Patreon.com slash KnoxBedtimeStories. Alright, let's get to news about our new friend and possibly new Bedtime Stories mascot, Jinx the Cat, followed by tonight's featured story, The Palace of the Night. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's get to our good news story, called Black Cat with Huge Eyes and Wonky Feet, named Mare of Hell. A popular cat known for her large eyes and wonky feet was named the Mare of Hell, a small town in Michigan. Jinx the cat and her owner Mia live in California. Mia rescued Jinx three years ago after hearing meows in the backyard. I came home early from a football game I was supposed to be home much later. I heard meowing in my backyard and discovered her. She was super tiny, only about three weeks old, she told M Live. 
As Jinx grew older, Mia started noticing peculiarities. She had big eyes, and as she grew bigger, her eyes didn't get smaller, and I also noticed she had big feet. She doesn't have a condition, and the vet says she's healthy. She just has these birth defects. She's also not as agile as most cats, and is a little clumsy. She only learned how to land on her feet a year ago. Jinx has since become a viral sensation on social media, with over 738,000 followers on TikTok. Man, I wish I could get that many followers. Wow. For a cat. How did a cat in California become the mayor of Hell, Michigan? I made a joke on Twitter saying, imagine Jinx will run for president. I had also seen animal mares before, and I sent a tweet out asking how to make Jinx mayor, and someone mentioned Michigan, and that you could pay to be mayor of hell for a day. So for $100, Jinx was named mayor of hell on Sunday, April 24th. The cost includes a proclamation certificate, a hell souvenir mug, souvenir t-shirt, and certificate of impeachment. The mayor also will own property in hell, one square inch. We love our in-person and distant mayors, said Reverend Vaughn of hell. Our mayor of the day package is the perfect gift for those who are hard to buy for and or have everything. They get to have one hell of a fun day and at the end of it, will receive the dreaded phone call to be impeached. So there you go. For $100, you can become mayor of hell for a day. Alright, let's get to tonight's story, The Palace of the Night. Once upon a time, there was an emperor of the Isles, who had but one son, the Prince Porfirio. On the day which beheld the prince's coming of age, the emperor summoned the youth to his council chamber and said to him, Dear son, when you were a little child, I pledged to you the hand of the Lady Lyria, daughter of my friend and ally, the Emperor of the Plain. You are now of age, and I would fain send you forth to find the princess and win her for your own. Then replied the tall golden-haired prince, Dear father, give me but a brave ship and a gallant crew, and I will this very eve set sail for the Emperor's city and greet the Lady Lyria. Pleased with his speech, the Emperor gave orders that a fine ship be swiftly prepared for the voyage, and this was done. And now it was night, and the vessel lay waiting, her sails gleaming green and white in the moonlight, her ladder shrouds gently swaying against the pale and starry sky. When came the ebb of the midnight tide, the anchors were weighed the great sails trimmed to the breeze, and the vessel piloted forth to the measureless plain of the sea. Now it came to pass, as the great ship sped upon her furrowed way, that Porfirio took it into his head to visit the fair of the Golden Bear, and fled before the wind to the festival city. Little by little, for the air was but light, the ship left behind her the blue of the deeps and entered the green waters of the shallows. Suddenly, there was a cry of land ho, and from afar, over the landward hastening waves, Porfirio beheld the great tower of the fair, 
A giant golden image of a bear, standing erect, crowned the high tower top and shone dully bright above the haze. At sundown, the prince accompanied by his mariners, found himself in the midst of the great fair. In the very heart of the din, the medley of outlandish costumes, the babble of strange tongues, and the shrill cries of the shopmen and the merchants. Surely, there was never such a marketplace as the fair of the Golden Bear. Everything in the world was there to be bought and sold. At one booth, a venerable man in a scholar's gown and velvet cap sold words, rare words, rich words, strange words, beautiful words, and drove a brisk trade with a crowd of poets and lovers. At another, an old woman in green sold rosy glasses to those who were at outs with the world. And at still another, a joyous fellow in blue offered sunbeams, which he had caught in a mirror and imprisoned in bits of magic glass. Porfirio was quite delighted with the sunbeams, which shone night and day like diamonds aflame with golden fires. The Lady Lyria will surely be pleased with one of these, thought he, and purchased the finest of all. Now, it came to pass that, as he walked about the fair with his retinue of sailormen, Porfirio caught sight of a rustic fellow in brown corduroys who was carrying a seabird in a wicker cage. And because he loved the wild folk of the sea, the prince said to the countryman, Good friend, whither go you with your bird? To the animal merchant, sir, replied the fellow. Tis a wild bird which I found in my field on a morning after a storm. Only look, sir, it wears a circle of feathers on its head, for all the world like a crown. Why, so it does, said the young prince. Come, will you sell him to me? Oh, yes, indeed, sir, replied the countryman. "'Tis yours for a florin of gold and a penny of silver.' And he held out his hand for the sum. "'Good,' said Porfirio, and he paid the money. Then, to the countryman's amazement, he threw open the door of the cage and allowed the seabird to escape. With a glad cry and a mighty beating of its gray wings, the creature climbed into a splendor of the sunset, dwindled to the black speck and vanished from their eyes. Once more, the prince set sail. For a few days, the weather remained tranquil and fair. Then came a night of cloud and a rushing wind, which increased during the day to a hurricane. Now arose a great din, the howling of the wind through the shrouds, the crackling and straining of the timbers of the ship, the cries of the sailors and the roaring and foaming of the deep. All night long, through the wild ocean dark, the prince's ship drifted nearer and nearer the unknown waters of the southern sea. Suddenly, just before the dawn, a tremendous noise was heard. The vessel trembled throughout her length, and crashing down once more on a hidden reef, broke apart. A huge wave swept Porfirio from the deck 
some wreckage hurled itself upon him, and he knew no more. When he woke again, close upon noon, he found that the waves had carried him to the stony beach of a dark and unknown isle. A stately wall of cliffs of the strangest dark blue stone girdled it about. To the left, to the right, to the rampart swept solemn, unscalable, and huge. One broken mast of the prince's ship still rose forlorn above the tumbling waters on the reefs, but of the gallant crew there was never a sign. With a heavy heart, Porfirio trudged off to look for shelter and for aid. Long hours followed he the curving shore, even till the sun, which had been shining in his face, little by little crept to the side and shone behind. Yet never away to the headland's height stood forth in the sheer and somber wall. And now of a sudden, and by great good fortune, for the tide was rising, Porfirio, turning the base of an advancing crag, found himself close by a noble promontory that sloped from the cliff top to the foundations of the sea. Half climbing, half dragging himself along the stones and terraces of the ridge, the prince attained at last the height of the blue wall. A great dark isle lay open before him, a solitary isle of shadowy lands, gloomy woods, and rocks and hillocks of the same dark stone he had marked before. Save for the faint murmur of the encircling sea below, and the sighing of the wind, the isle was as silent as a land beneath the deep. Indeed, so still and dark it was, that it seemed as if the night reigned there forever untroubled by the day. In the very heart of the gloom, its mighty walls and blue battlements lifted high against the cloud mountains gathered in the west, a stately palace of rose. After a long winding journey through a wood dark as a leafy cave, Porfirio arrived at the portals of the dwelling. The palace was as silent as a stone. Of silver were its massy doors, and they were sealed and barred, and from turret to foundation stone, its windows were with silver shutters closed against the day. Not a sign or memory of living things was there to be seen. Wondering in his heart at the mystery, Porfirio presently made his way into a noble garden, wherein were pools and basins of blue water rimmed about with silver, and tall dark trees stately as night. Again to his wonderment, the prince beheld that the flowers in the garden were such as opened only in the night. The pale, fragrant jasmine hid there, the moonflower dreamed, and the shy star daisy gathered her petals before her face. Suddenly, the prince heard steps behind him, and turning swiftly, beheld a fair princess gazing at him with eyes in which wonder, alarm, and hope might all be seen. Speak, who are you? What do you hear? said the princess quickly. To this, Porfirio replied that he was a prince who had been shipwrecked on a voyage, and he told the princess of his adventures. 
Alas, replied the lady, you have come to the dark land. Know you not into whose power you have fallen? This dark isle is the dwelling of the magician of the night, who rules the fairy world from sunset to the morn. When comes the dawn, his mighty power wanes, and he and his people of the night hasten to this locked and shuttered palace, here to lie hidden from the sunlight which is their enemy and deadly fear. I alone go forth, for I, alas, am immortal. But hearken to my story. I am the Princess Lyria. Porfirio started. My father is the Emperor of the Plain. On Midsummer Eve, as I was walking with my handmaidens in the garden, a messenger from my father arrived bidding me come at once to the Great Hall of State. I obeyed the message, and going to the hall, found there the magician of the night, who had just presented a haughty petition for my hand. Because of his fear of the magician, my father was very ill at ease. All looked to me for an answer. I replied courteously that, though I felt highly honored at the demand, I nevertheless felt bound to refuse, for I had been affianced since childhood to another. For you must know, good prince, that my father was long the true friend and ally of the Emperor of the Isles, and had pledged my hand to his only son, the Prince Porfirio. Would that this were all I had to tell, but woe to me! Scarce had the magician, with a mocking smile, bowed low and disappeared into the night, when a terrible storm of his contriving descended upon our unfortunate city, overturning our tallest towers and strewing ruin far and wide. Our torches quenched by the rain and wind. My maidens and I took refuge in a great chamber of the north turret. At the height of the storm, the wind suddenly burst open the double portals. There came a great flash of lightning and a roar of thunder. And I beheld the magician standing tall and motionless between the doors, surrounded by a dozen of his creatures of the night. I cried out, but his servants seized me and led me forth. Great wings bore me upward through the very torment of the heavens. A darkness fell on me, and I knew no more. When I awoke, I found myself here in the palace of the night. Farewell, dear land of the golden plain, whose harvests I shall never more see. Farewell, dear Prince Porfirio of the Isles. But I am Porfirio, cried the prince, and I was on my way to find you, noble Lyria, when the storm swept me to this isle. You may be sure the heart of the princess leaped when she heard these tidings. Forgetting that he was himself but a shipwrecked wanderer, much in need of aid, the prince, like the brave fellow that he was, could think of nothing but of rescuing his lady from the dark magician. As for the princess, she could think of naught but the plight of Porfirio, tossed friendless and forlorn upon the isle. But at length, she shook her head and smiled. Today, said she, is mine, and tomorrow also. But the magician has bidden me be prepared, 
for the wedding feast by sundown on the following day. But look, the shield of the sun breaks the storm clouds close above the waters. Twilight approaches. The hour of the magician is at hand. You must go. Hide yourself well tonight, and come to the garden tomorrow when the chimes ring thrice. On yon dark wall, you will find some strangely shaped fruits growing. Fear not to eat of them when you hunger. Lyria, the unhappy, bids you farewell, Prince Porfirio. Farewell, Princess, replied Porfirio. Do not despair. We shall yet outwit the dark magician. And now the prince lay hid in the heart of a great tree, watching the doors and windows of the palace slowly opening in the twilight. Suddenly, huge bells swung forth in waves of heavy sound. Strange music played, and the thousand windows filled with the magic glow of moonfire. All night long, the people of the night held festival, but at the break of dawn, the silver windows closed slowly on their hinges. The music grew faint, and the murmur died away. This podcast is sponsored by The Coldest Water. Get 10% off your first order by using code NOX10 at coldest.com. On the second afternoon, the prince and his impatience came early to the shadowy garden. The princess Lyria was not to be found, so Porfirio wandered away into the dark alleys by the pools. Suddenly, he found himself looking at his own reflection in a huge round mirror which two marble statues supported between them, one at each side. Happening to move a little, the prince discovered that his reflection did not move. He lifted an arm. The image remained motionless. He shook his head. The mirror gave no sign. Puzzled, Porfirio left the spot and saw his reflection remaining behind the glass. Puzzled, Porfirio left the spot and saw his reflection remaining behind the glass. Presently, he heard the welcome footsteps of Lyria, and as the lovers walked and talked and discussed plans of escape, the prince chanced to tell of the mirror he had found. Uttering a little gasp of alarm, the princess cried, Now we are lost indeed. Yon mirror is a mirror of memory, and reveals to the magician the faces of those who walk these paths. As soon as he sees your reflection therein, and he gazes into the glass every eve, his demons will be sent in search of you. There is one hope, and one only. Go you once more to the sea. Follow the cliffs for a league to the west of the promontory, and you will find at its base the opening of an ocean cave. When you arrive there, the tide will be at half flood, and the entrance will still be visible above the waves. Fight your way within and climb to the cavern's height. Little by little, the rising tide will seal the portal and hide you from the search. Make haste, dear Porfirio, for there is not an instant to lose. Oh, that I had warned you. Ragingly angry with himself for being a meddlesome fool, Porfirio hurried down to the sea and sought out the cave. 
twilight was at hand. The tide was rising fast. Already the entrance was almost closed by the sea. Buffeted by the breakers and tossed against the cliff as he strode, the prince at length made his way into the cave and climbed to a shelf of rock above the height of the tide. A few minutes later, the water closed the entrance completely, thus imprisoning Porfirio in a hollow darkness, through which the ebb and flow of the outer sea swept with chuckles and whispering laughter. All night long waited Porfirio in the cold watery dark. Toward the end of the princess's vigil, the earth suddenly shook, the waters hushed, and through the silence and the dark, Porfirio heard the long thunder of a mighty overthrow. What can that be, thought he. When the first rays of the sun streamed along the rocky floors of the cave, Porfirio descended from his refuge and walked out of the cave mouth to the sea. Now, as Porfirio walked along the shore, it came to pass that he discerned, deeply embedded in the bluish sands and lashed about with ropes of matted weed, the splendid painted chest which he had lain in his cabin on the ship. Its brazen lock, though tarnished by the waters, was still highly clasped, but sea and stone had broken the wood loose from the hasps, and the prince had little difficulty in raising the lid. With a rueful smile, he gazed down into his robes and find a ray lying musty and sand-strewn within. There lay his prince's circlet of gold, here his jeweled sword of state, here the rich gifts he had meant for the princess Lyria. And among these, tucked away in the very corner of the chest, Porfirio found the sunbeam he had purchased at the fair of the Golden Bear. Were Lyria armed with this, cried he, the magician of the night could not prevail against her. At the thought, a new strength leaped into his weary heart, and he hurried along the cliff toward the promontory. The storm had now cleared away, the ocean thundered and broke into silvery white foam at the foot of the blue ramparts, and the Isle of the Night raised itself defiantly against a bright and royal sun. The magician, however, had not been idle. The mirror had told its story. A search had been made. A legion of creatures had sought Porfirio in every corner of the isle. Compelled by the approach of dawn to abandon this pursuit, the magician resolved to render the island unapproachable from the sea. With a spell of tremendous power, he caused the promontory to break from the other cliff and fall in scattered and monstrous ruin to the beach below. It was the thunder of this overthrow which had shaken the earth and sounded through the cave. As a last precaution, the magician forbade Lyria to leave the palace of the night, and locked and sealed the door and windows, every one. Presently, the prince, hastening along the beach, came in sight of the ruined headland and a great fear laid its icy hand on his heart as he beheld the triumph of his enemy. How was he to reach the headland height? 
The cliff wall now circled the entire island without a break. League after league he trudged, along the shore, through the tide, searching, searching for some way to scale the overhanging walls. Higher and higher climbed the sun. The shadows fell to the east, the afternoon waned, and still, Porfirio had found no path to the top. Desperate at last, he attempted to scale the steep face of the blue precipice. From ledge to ledge, climbing with torn fingers and aching arms, struggled the prince, and presently, his further advance barred, fell backward, faint and overcome, on a shelf of rock high above the sea. When his strength returned, he found himself close by an eyrie of seabirds, brooding on their nests in shelves and rifts of the rock. With a great clamor of piping and crying, the creatures rose startled from their nests, so filling the air with wings that Porfirio closed his eyes. Suddenly, the master of the eyrie, uttering a joyous call, swept down close to the prince, and with an upward surge of his heart, Porfirio recognized the winged king, whose freedom he had purchased at the fair of the golden bear. And now, the seabirds gathered about the prince, some gathering folds of his garments into their talons, others lifting him on broad wings, till presently he was borne from the narrow ledge and the sound of the sea into the splendor and silence of the sky. Suddenly, the master of the eyrie, uttering a joyous call, swept down close to the prince, and with an upward surge of his heart, Porfirio recognized the winged king, whose freedom he had purchased at the fair of the golden bear. And now, the sea birds gathered about the prince, some gathering folds of his garments into their talons, others lifting him on broad wings, till presently he was borne from the narrow ledge and the sound of the sea into the splendor and silence of the sky. The end of day was at hand. Unveiled of any wisp of cloud, the fiery sun lay just above the western waters, its lower rim almost resting on the waves. Once again approached the hour of the magician of the night. The cloud of seabirds flew inland over the blue isle and settled to earth at the very doors of the palace of the night. And opening his arms to them, Porfirio cried aloud his thanks as they wheeled and fled. The prince walked boldly to the great door and blew a loud blast on the warder's horn. There came no answer to his call. The palace of the night remained silent and dark. The sun's rim dipped. A little breeze made its way from the sea through the mysterious gardens. The flowers of the night stirred like sleepers in a dream. O jewel of the sun, cried Porfirio, give me now your aid. And with these words, he touched the sunbeam to the lock. A crack resounded, then a shattering crash, and the door swung open wide. Hastening on twixt other and other doors, and through heavy tapestries, Porfirio at length 
found himself at the threshold of the great hall of the palace of the night. Rich hangings of dark blue velvet, strewn with stars of silver and gold, hung from the giant walls. A thousand lamps of pale moonfire swayed on silver chains from the unseen height overhead. There were huge columns and dark aisles. To one side of the hall, by a silver throne raised upon a dais, stood the magician of the night, his arms folded on his breast. Proud and pale by his side, near a second throne, stood the Princess Lyria. About them were gathered the people of the night. As the doors parted, all turned to gaze at Porfirio. Fixing his dark eyes upon the prince, the magician spake a terrible incantation, but his words shattered themselves against the sunbeam as a threatening wave breaks to drift and foam against a crag. Seize him, commanded the magician. At these words, a host of dark beings surged about Porfirio, encircling him, yet afraid to attack. Porfirio took Lyria by the hand and led her toward the door. But even as he did so, the magician caused awesome silvery fires to bar the outward way. At the horizon's edge, the waters were leaping up about the sun. Baffled by the flame, Porfirio still guarding Lyria, fought his way toward a great stair at the very end of the hall. In the wall there, barred with silver and shuttered with stone, a giant circular window faced the west. And now there rose a tumult through the hall, and sounds of magic and thunder. Nothing daunted, Porfirio touched the sunbeam to the window bar and threw the double shutters open wide. The sun was yet above the wave, sky and water were aflame, and the great tide of sunlight swept into the palace of the night like the music of many trumpets. From all within the palace, a great wailing cry arose that presently died away. When Porfirio and Lyria turned to gaze, the magician and his people had vanished, conquered and forever powerless. And the velvet hangings were but cobwebs clinging to the walls, and the lamps of moonfire but empty shells. Then Porfirio and Lyria walked hand in hand to the darkening sea, and beheld there a brave merchant ship which the seabird was guiding to the isle. You may be sure it did not take the jolly mariners long to rescue the lovers from the headland, and thus the prince and princess fared to Lyria's realm, where their marriage was celebrated with the greatest ceremony. In time, Porfirio became a king and Lyria a queen, and thus they lived happily ever after. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you found the show helpful and want to make sure it's around for others to enjoy, please go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Patreon button. There are various rewards, and it ensures the show will be here for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy, peaceful life. 
May the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.